welcome to Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. Today, we're bringing you a recording of a recent webinar we hosted regarding in-vehicle payments together with MasterCard, Worldline, Frost & Sullivan, and GND. Welcome and thank you to everybody for joining. We are delighted to be hosting this webinar on the very hot emerging topic of in-vehicle payments. And here at Trusonic, we are very proud to be able to bring such a prestigious industry panel together to share their insights, whether you're from the automotive industry or the financial services industry. I think we will be sharing insights and a lot of understanding of how we can successfully uh, see the partnerships and the industries work together to deliver both value and success for everybody involved. Um, we will aim to share panelist insights for about the first uh, 35 to 40 minutes, and then uh, we will uh, take questions via the Q&A channel. So as we go along, please do put your questions into the, uh, uh, the Q&A area. And for any reason, if anybody has to leave the webinar early, we will be making the uh, recording available on demand from uh, early next week. Uh, I'll also highlight there are a, a few documents available for download. So please do uh, take the time before the end of the session to uh, download the, uh, the, the content. And um, we look forward to a very engaging uh, uh, next hour with you. So on that, um, let me uh, go around the, uh, the table and introduce everybody and ask uh, everybody just to share a few comments about who they are, the company they're working for, and their interest in this area. I'll uh, quickly confirm my name is Andrew Turl. I head up the automotive practice here at Trasonic. So enough from me, and uh, let's go around the panel. So perhaps if we go to uh, Frank uh, first. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you, Andrew. So Frank Levesque, I'm um, a partner at Frost & Sullivan. We are a business intelligence and consultancy firm. And my personal area of, of expertise has been 20 years in the automotive industry, you know, tracking and helping clients with transformation, transformational innovation. And I, I've got a, a specific liking uh, over the past 20 years uh, for the connected vehicle world and uh, very relevant in this time of age and a very exciting development at the moment. So looking forward to a great discussion. Thank you. Perhaps next, if we go to uh, Colm. Yeah, my name is Colm Duffy. I'm with MasterCard. I'm part of our cyber intelligence solutions team. And really at MasterCard, we're, our role in the payments industry is about delivering safe and secure payments. So we act as that network between merchants and banks. And we're very interested in this, this uh, area of in-vehicle payments because we see as you know, we're having the shift to EV vehicles, we're also having the shift to uh, autonomous payments. So we're very interested in, in helping making that transition happen. So looking forward to the discussion today. Um, Frank Michael, you could uh, introduce yourself next. Yeah, so good afternoon, everyone. I'm Frank Michael Kamm. I'm with uh, GND, Kizikandarian, in uh, our headquarters in Munich. And there I'm in the product management, our digital solutions team where we take care of a lot of solutions centered around uh, secure payments, secure identities. Um, we also do a lot of stuff on uh, IoT security, uh, IoT provisioning. So we have uh, yeah, a, lot, a lot of experience in the payment area and also are involved in lots of the activities around in-car payment. And it's a pleasure to be here today. 
Thank you, Frick Michael. And um, I'm going to come finally to uh, to Meno. I will say is my partner in crime in kicking up the idea for today's uh, <laughs> webinar. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. So my name is Min Lee. Um, I work for Worldline, the number one uh, payment service provider in Europe. Um, and uh, at Worldline, I'm responsible for business development of uh, connected vehicle services and IoT service offerings. Uh, so coming from the payment industry, we have been working on, you know, machine-to-machine -machine communications and autonomous payment uh, for quite uh, some time. So if you look at the whole part of connected uh, payment terminals, for example, uh, those have been connected for decades now. So actually, when it comes to uh, in-car payments and autonomous payment, it feel like a very natural development moving forward into that direction. Uh, so today, the topic of uh, in-car payments, uh, but autonomous drive uh, payment in general at Worldlands has gained a lot of attention. Uh, it's, it's because of the drivers coming from uh, the industry uh, in the discussion with our customers uh, and in particular in discussion with the automotive industries. And um, it's also very interesting for us to share some insights and discuss that with uh, the panel today. Awesome. Happy to do. Thank you, Min. So I want to pick up on one of the comments uh, actually just made by, by Min there, that this is not a new area, it's not a new subject. The industries have been talking about uh, working together for some time and the, the, the merger of payment technologies with uh, automotive uh, services. But it's, there's been a lot of talk and there's been some collaboration, but there hasn't quite been the, the impact that was anticipated. So why is, is, is now the right time for the automotive industry to be embracing um, payment services? So perhaps, um, Frank, I know you've been doing a lot of research at Frost & Sullivan into this area. Perhaps you could um, share some of your views on, on you know, well, let's say, is this the right timing? So. Nice and easy one over to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, well, as I mentioned, I, I've been looking into connected vehicle for the past 20 years, but I think we are at a, at a, at a very interesting time in terms of the automotive industry uh, for various reasons. Uh, beside, you know, that shift from, um, you know, internal combustion engine to, uh, to electric, which is um, one of the, the, the pillars of that transformation, we, we also need to look at the, the industry and where it is. It is, you know, in a mature situation. So in mature situation, you have just from a pure economic perspective, you have slow growth and that growth is unlikely to, conti to, to continue from, a, a, pers from a, a basic unit perspective. So growth is driving all of us uh, in, the, in the commercial world, right? So where are we going to get that growth going forward? Uh, one could say that we're going to get it from uh, emerging markets. Yes, true, but that will have its own time. So where else we can increase price limited uh, from a vehicle sales perspective? We can get it from the, the competitors. Well, that's business as usual. Uh, no, no change there. So where are we going to get future growth in the automotive industry? which is fundamental. Um, and I think that future growth is going to come from the necessity to shift the business model, which is today generating most of its value in selling cars to creating value throughout the life cycle of the vehicle. So really leveraging the captive market a lot better 
to generate value through services and additional features that uh, consumers will be able to buy uh, throughout the life cycle of ownership of the vehicle or usage of the vehicle. That, in my mind, is becoming a necessity for the industry to, to embrace. A necessity because, as I mentioned, we are shifting from internal combustion engine to electric vehicle. And one of the source of profit of the automotive industry is aftermarket, which is fundamentally driven by internal combustion engine. So that's capacity to generate new revenue streams through connectivity, through features, through services that consumers are able to buy uh, from the vehicle throughout the life cycle is going to be one of the ways in which vehicle manufacturer and the industry is going to be able to compensate for that loss and continue the growth at the same time. Excellent. Any other perspectives from the rest of our uh, panelists on the point raised there by Frank? Maybe, maybe adding also from the from the payment perspective. I mean, we have seen the transition in the last years uh, going from, let's say, traditional cash-based payment to card-based payment now to mobile payment. Uh, now with a strong take-up during the pandemic, of course, with contactless payment. Uh, now also wearable payment uh, coming up and and, and already starting uh, IoT payment coming up. So I think. Also from the payment perspective and from the end user perspective, uh, people are now much more used to pay with something else than just your banknote or your, your uh, conventional card. And uh, there's a lot of uh, infrastructure now in place. And I think we will also touch some of these points later on um, regarding um, yeah, some, some background technologies which are needed. And uh, bringing both together, I think that's now a perfect uh, moment of time uh, to look into that direction. I think I think there are also uh, several uh, other drivers as well. So one of the things uh, that are driving the services today is, um, and many people talk about it, is, is um, electronic vehicle charging. So by having a very convenient payment means that could link to electronic vehicle charging that could drive also uh, more service revenues for um, uh, not only OEMs, but also other partners in um, the ecosystem and the value chains as well. From the technology point of view, I think uh, we also have seen a lot of development around connected vehicle technologies, uh, IoT technologies, and AI technologies. And on top of it, you also have blockchain, which might come in, in the long run. So all of these driver combines are pushing us also in a certain direction to that accelerate in, in vehicle payments. And I think last but not least, in, 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 the, last, uh, in the past years, we have been experiencing a, a pandemic where that also has contributed to the digitization of payment and services as well. Uh, people are more and more attached to their cars somehow because of the distancing desire, I guess, and uh, on the other hand, uh, trying to get some freedom from the services. So yeah, those, those are what I think um, as drivers uh, that has contributed to the acceleration today. I would perhaps add as well from the technology standpoint, the, the technology to support payments is generally being deployed, not necessarily with payments as the primary use case, um, but the security, the contactless, the wireless systems, et cetera, um, you know, more advanced operating systems, the, the cryptographic algorithm support. So the, the technology barriers are, uh, are perhaps not at the level they were previously. And I think we are now seeing a, 
a period of time in the automotive industry where people are saying, how do we get more out of these sizable investments we're making when we develop a new vehicle architecture? And I, I would also stress that the next generation vehicle architectures do give people the opportunity to hit the pause button and say, what would we do differently? And you very seldomly get that in an industry, um, a chance to have a kind of almost a complete reset as we switch from sort of ice or uh, diesel to uh, to electric powertrains. But I'd like to pick up, Min, um, I like some of the use cases you were, uh, you were highlighting there. And I think that, you know, that there are many potential in vehicle payment uh, use cases. And, and quite often people will talk about, um, you know, paying for a toll or paying for parking. But I think there are many other other ones out there that are very exciting, and it'd be great to get your your perspective on, you know, who delivers those? Is it are they important for the OEM to deliver, or are there um, opportunities also for use cases to be delivered by third party companies? So I'd love to get your perspective on on who's delivering the uh, the use cases. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for this question. You're right. Um, there are indeed many interesting use cases around in-car payments. But, but let me start with this. Uh, the fact that we are talking about in-car payment and we are trying to move payment into the cars, uh, it's not for the purpose of payment. It is purely for the purpose of customer experience. We, we would like to have a seamless uh, customer journey when the customer or the drivers are enjoying the experience of driving in the car. And therefore, uh, we think that in-car payment is one factor to enhance the customer experience. So that being said, as you mentioned, there are many use cases uh, such as uh, electronic uh, vehicle charging, payment, uh, tolling, getting in and out of the city, ha- um, not having the need to you know, pay for eco-tax. Uh, everything is, is, is pushed and, and taken care automatically in the background. Or you could also think about use cases where you order digital contents for uh, the consumption in the car. So there, there are many uh, interesting use cases. But I think all the use cases uh, are important and need to be delivered by, by OEMs and, and other parties in, in the value chains. And the key question is, for OEMs, uh, what are uh, the business strategy behind it, behind the services, including in-car payments? And after that, uh, which are the payment schemes? And then you have to think about, uh, are you going to uh, choose for a credit card scheme, credit card tokenizations, turn you know the connected car into something that would pay automatically? Or uh, do you think of direct, account-to-account payments uh, where uh, you have to comply to uh, payment service directive and uh, in combination with uh, strong customer authentication. So I think those are the key questions that OEMs need to uh, consider and and think about. Uh, Many OEMs today already invest in um, biometric technologies, for example cameras, uh, voice recognition, uh, fingerprint scan. Uh, So those technologies are already there, which can be used to be part of the payment uh, solution and payment value chain. So those are very important key assets from OEMs that they they can deliver. The last part of your question is about the third parties. So as I already mentioned, it's, it's 
uh, important to build the ecosystem, uh, which consists of, of different uh, service providers. For example, e-mobility service providers, uh, fuel retailers that are today thinking about how to move forward with the neutral carbonization, moving toward the, the green energies, um, contact aware service providers, parking service provider, or even local governments like uh, big cities. So all of them all have their own use cases to drive. And I believe there's many potential use cases out there for all of them to work together. And the key is to come up with an endorsed ecosystem. And at the end, those ecosystems can leverage and drive the network effect of all the services uh, that are going to be generated by the ecosystems. Excellent. Any other perspectives from our panel on um, who's going to end up paying for some of these services and sort of the perhaps more unusual use cases we might see being applied to payments? If I may, on that, I think, you know, we, we keep talking about a, a smartphone on wheels, right? And and we need to think what, what it means. And we all know what it means because we all use it every day. And, you know, with what you get when you receive it from your provider is different to the way it's set up and with the way you use it six months later. Uh, it's customized to the extreme. And the, the, the car is going to become a platform for continuous revenue generation. We've actually um, sort of broken down the, um, the type of use cases into three segments. Uh, you have the uh, sort of what I call the traditional connected services that are related to infotainment and audio or navigation. Um, relatively basic, it's what has driven the industry for the past 15 years, 20 years. Um, the, the next generation of what we are seeing developing, especially in the US at the moment, quite a lot, uh, is around what we call, what I call sort of a retail marketplace, uh, where you know, it will integrate the fueling that uh, Min was mentioning earlier, parking, but also you know, capacity to book some, uh, some activities or you know, book a restaurants or buy your coffee before you, you arrive at the place or whatever. And you have a third segment, which is, uh, I think, the most exciting uh, from my perspective. Uh, and that's the, the feature on demand. That ability to, uh, in the future, buy specific vehicle feature when you need them, uh, or because the need has a reason, uh, because of the change in, your, in the usage of your vehicle, or you want to have a valid parking, just buy it when you need it, as opposed to have it all the time. Research shows that consumers only see and experience 25% of the features in their vehicle. I would think, wow, this is such a waste of energy uh, that is going into the, the vehicle in terms of engineering, right? Uh, when it could actually be better marketed and better valorized if we are able to push it on demand when required. And that's what, what is super exciting. And consumers from our research are very excited about that. Um, in terms of feature on demand, our research shows that 90%, 88% in, in the, to be precise, are saying, yes, this is interesting and this is something we will do. I, I would uh, absolutely endorse that, Frank, and say I think with some of the change in ownership models, that are happening. So as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, we've seen sort of a peak in vehicle sales at around the mid 90 million per year. And obviously last year was a lot lower, sort of late 60s, early 70s. 
Um, but it is unlikely to go back to those very high numbers. Um, and partly driven by change in, in societal attitudes and uh, the, the concept of, of shared ownership of vehicles. So the idea of being able to select the features, select the software version, I think becomes very exciting. It also allows OEMs to build a relationship with those vehicle users that perhaps otherwise may be more challenging because when you're when you're paying for something, you are sharing a certain amount of information and there's a level of trust that is that is developed between the two uh, the two parties. I think you're totally right. That loyalty point, a communication between the cons the consumer and the vehicle manufacturer becomes critical. But I, just to, to add on on that, you know, I think it's not just the fact that we are going to move towards um, a shared economy. I, I think it's not just this. Is also what Min was saying earlier, the fact that we are used to consume digitally uh, outside the automotive industry in a way that right now we are not able to consume in the automotive industry. So actually, the automotive industry is a little bit behind in terms of what consumers expect from their interaction with um, tools, with uh, devices um, in their life. And that is what we are catching up with. So I think that's, I think, a good point to perhaps then bring in the uh, the next question that I had on my list of, of areas to explore, which is really the marriage, you know, from a usability standpoint, uh, the marriage of automotive and financial services is perhaps not the uh, the easiest uh, marriage in the world. There are a lot of complexities in, in both of those industries for, for many, many good and, and security-driven reasons. So, you know, what are the key usability challenges that need to be overcome and how can both industries work towards that? And I, I think perhaps... Frank Michael, with the work that you've been doing, uh, you know, you you are very well positioned to uh, to share some strong insights here. So perhaps if I could uh, throw that question in your direction. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you just said, I mean, uh, usability is certainly a key factor in uh, in this uh, context, and uh, I'm quite convinced uh, if you make the right uh, or if you make the the wrong um, decision in terms of uh, usability design and user experience design. People will not uh, start asking, so so why should you do it now, like we did at the beginning, but they will rather ask, so why should I do it at all uh, if I have other payment channels like the mobile or the web channel and, and others, uh, or the variables, um, which, which offer really great usability. So I think there will certainly be a, a competition with existing channels. And uh, as you rightly said, I mean, it's a merger of two, I would say, quite uh, distinctive uh, and, and different worlds um, that have to come together here. Um, so we have lots of regulations uh, on both sides. On the car side, definitely regulations around safety, um, driver distraction, for example, which uh, well heavily impacts uh, also the choices you can make in terms of, of usability. Um, security uh, requirements also from the car side. I mean, the OEMs have learned that the cars nowadays are connected and that you have to uh, think about uh, security architecture in terms of IT security as well. And looking from the other side, um, I mean, security is, of course, also one of the main drivers there. Um, we have lots of requirements from that side. Uh, the PSD2, the Payment Service Directive, was already mentioned, uh, requesting strong authentication, so two-factor authentication, which uh, doesn't make the uh, usability design uh, actually easier. Um, but even if you are in a region where um, you are not really subject to PSD2, it's certainly a good uh, 
idea to to think about strong authentication um, because I think you don't want to turn your in-car payment solution into a security nightmare. And then we also have uh, requirements, of course, coming from the payment scheme side, uh, which also have to be taken into account. So as you can see, this, this merger of both worlds really um, provides lots of options in, in your kind of design parameter space. Many of them actually impact usability. And that's certainly a challenge to do the right choices here, um, since that will certainly be a decisive uh, success factor. So maybe starting uh, from, from the security perspective, because that's, I think, common to, to both sides, really. Um, and even if you think that security itself does not really have an, an impact on usability, I would say that that's not really uh, the case. So there, there are certainly impacts. So it starts, for example, with the uh, choice of, of security environment you're looking for. Um, so whether you want to secure payment credentials or authentication credentials to, to authenticate the payment, that basically doesn't matter, I would say. Um, and. Uh, you have the right choices to make, but luckily there are a lot of um, technologies and environments already there. So we have TEE-based uh, environments on, in, in, in the car, in various locations, on, on various control units. Um, we have uh, embedded secure elements, potentially. We have the eSIM or nowadays the EUICC, which, which can do much more functionality than, than just the SIM functionality, than just uh, providing connectivity. There are, of course, also lots of uh, management solutions available around that. So remote provisioning, remote management of these security environments. Um, if you think about um, yeah, managing a, um, a, SIM, um, a SIM profile from remotely, I mean, that's basically the same technology as providing uh, security applications or security credentials um, to the security environment. And we have seen already in the market um, yeah, yeah, schemes like dual SIM, dual active, where you, for example, temporarily push your SIM subscription to your mobile while you're using that. And that's, of course, something you could also do with, with payment applications or payment credentials or authentication credentials. And I think that's especially interesting uh, in the case of shared vehicles. We don't have your own personal vehicle, but, but maybe uh, just a shared car or a rental car or a commercial com company car. So that also would, would simplify um, uh, uh, the usability and the user journey. So security, I think there's, there's a lot available already. Um, regarding uh, the two-factor authentication, um, as I said, I mean, this is also a challenge typically on, on usability. Um, but luckily, there are also technologies and, and solutions out there as well. If you think of uh, the FIDO initiative, the FIDO protocol, which is basically designed to combine uh, good usability and security. So to have basically two-factor security, which feels like a one-factor uh, uh, authentication or one-factor transaction. And uh, there are strong alignments between the FIDO alliance, for example, Iambico, which basically brings the, the authentication world and the payment world together. Uh, the schemes also have uh, be, become to, to jump on this train and, and adopting this. So in that sense, there is already good infrastructure there. Uh, the same maybe also for um, schemes like delegated authentication. So if you think about um, doing your in-car transaction as a, well, in the end, an, as an e-commerce transaction, um, you have to think about what happens if in the end of the, of the chain, the issuer, for example, of your card would uh, start jumping in and, and request another authentication. 
So that's certainly not something I guess you would like to have, um, especially if you are driving with, I don't know, with 220 kilometers an hour on a German autobahn, um, then you don't want to, to handle with your mobile phone and, and start uh, logging into your issuer app and, and authenticate the transaction from the issuer side. Right. So I think uh, using schemes like delegated authentication is also one of the key factors because then you can be sure that it's the OEM who's driving the authentication experience. Yeah. Um, another technology is certainly tokenization, very much related. Um, you don't want to, to store any, let's say, card-based credentials directly in your car, I would say, um, because that's also a security topic. Um, but tokenization technologies are there. Uh, we have platforms where you can connect to the tokenization um, solutions of the schemes. And in that sense, you would only handle tokenized credentials and, and no real card credentials. Um, biometrics was also mentioned already. I think that's also one of the key technologies. Um, and in the question of, um, so why should I do this at all? Why should I take my car as a payment instrument? I think it's, it's really a key factor to be able to do this while you are driving. Um, because otherwise you would not really gain any kind of um, yeah, usability advantage compared to other channels. Uh, and I think for that, biometrics is certainly one of the key technologies. Um, luckily, the OEMs have started already to bring biometrics into the car, whether it's uh, uh, yeah, voice-based biometrics, uh, face biometrics, or fingerprint biometrics. Um, and combined with some form of, let's say, voice um, recognition, voice controlled user experience, I think that strongly helps also to design it in a way that um, the transaction can actually be done while you're driving. And I think that gives a, a significant advantage. And then in the end, of course, you always have to take a look at the whole user journey. Uh, so from the enrollment step, I mean, typically you maybe even would like to avoid some kind of enrollment, but, but typically from the payment side, I mean, there are requirements on doing at least initially some kind of enrollment, like connecting your authentication credentials to your um, card credentials or to your payment uh, credentials, or maybe even yeah, transferring uh, and provisioning some form of payment credentials. So there will always be some kind of enrollment step. The actual authentication step, of course, um, and then the question of how do you transfer your credentials, maybe if you change your vehicle, if you temporarily go to another vehicle. Um, and these are all the things that have to be uh, considered where you can, I think, make some really fundamental mistakes in terms of design choices. But luckily, there are a lot of technologies out there. There are already also strong partners out there. And uh, so from that perspective, I think the ground is, is well prepared. Absolutely. By the way, I, I, I do feel I need to stress that only in approved roads can you travel at 220 kilometers an hour. <laughs> That's a very specific answer to Germany. Uh, just build on that, uh, Colm, I, I know that MasterCard has done um, a lot of work in uh, sort of from around 1718 with a number of automotive players in, in North America. Are there any insights from um, those that you're able to share in, in terms of overcoming the complexity of bringing these two worlds together? Yeah, I think it's kind of good to maybe reflect on the kind of, I guess, the payment infrastructure that has to be put in place. And if we look at, say, the development of contactless, it maybe gives us some hints on, on the kind of learnings we can take from uh, the scaling of contactless into uh, in-vehicle payments. So, you know, if you think about it, the first contactless card, I think, in the UK was 2007. And... Now it's taken us up to now to kind of bring it to scale. I think now 
over 90% of kind of merchant locations can accept contactless payment globally. So it really has scaled over those years. Um, and I think there are probably three sort of key factors that really kind of help that, that scaling that we can think about and think how they apply uh, to in-vehicle payments. So the first one I think is user experience. So with contactless, um, it was a very simple user experience, tap and go. Um, and I think, you know, that also is the real opportunity for uh, the vehicle manufacturers is to, to, to really bring uh, convenience to the, the consumers. I think, you know, what, what Min was saying earlier is true. Consumers don't care about the payment part. Uh, they want to complete a task. They want to kind of uh, get the car parked. Uh, they want to pick up their food. Uh, they want to maybe get the best value on their car insurance. Uh, that's what they want. The payment part uh, should be seamless and integrated. And as a car manufacturer, uh, you're uniquely positioned actually to deliver that convenience. So you have the trusted environment. You have all of the sensors, the biometrics, you have the user interface, you have the kind of cybersecurity um, uh, assets in the car now. So I think that that really is the kind of opportunity to kind of deliver that um, best user experience and um, differentiate from the kind of competition kind of smartphone, because as a car vendor you are, you have uniquely those assets. You can do things um, which nobody else can do. You can, as, as I think Frank Michael was, was, was mentioning, you can do things like uh, delegated authentication. You can use all of those sensors uh, to your advantage to deliver that, that winning user experience. The second point uh, the kind of kind of learning from contactors is education. Uh, I think it's really key to kind of uh, make scaling happening. And that's education of the consumer and the merchants. You know, with contactors, you know, just even things on the branding on the contactors mark, just to kind of uh, over many years, repeating that education was critical to build trust both on the, the consumer and the merchant side. And we're going to have to do the same sort of thing in, in vehicle payments to, to kind of know, uh, you know, for the consumer, like, the journey they can take, how to use it, and, and not just at the product launch, but continuously throughout the life cycle. The, the third point uh, I'd like to pick up from, from kind of contact this kind of infrastructure is standards. I think also kind of Frank Michael mentioned this earlier is um, the standards really uh, enable interoperability and scaling. And I think that's also going to be very critical in, in, EV, in vehicle payments. I think the good thing is we have already a lot of the building blocks and standards. So in Invico, in FIDO, um, tokenization standards, we have quite a lot of stuff which we can leverage. Um, there may be some new stuff we need, I think particularly in the area of autonomous payments. So where you know machine is initiating a payment, we may need new technologies, or we may need to bring in new wireless technologies into in-vehicle payments. So we may want to leverage things like ultra-wildband ultra -wild and other technologies uh, to deliver new use cases. But standards, unless we're building on standards, then we're never going to get to scale. I think the, the good thing is, you know, contact has, you know, has taken over 10 years to scale. And the good thing is now consumers are a totally different uh, kind of phase. Their interest in, in trying out and adopting new payment technologies is at an all-time high. Um, we just did a, a survey among consumers um, over, um, I think, 18 different markets. And we saw like 93% uh, 
or interested in trying out a new payment experience within the next year. So the kind of uh, eagerness for people to engage and adopt a new payment experience is there. So I think uh, just to get back to your kind of question is, yes, um, you know, uh, infrastructure scaling can, can happen. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're in a lot better position now um, with all the kind of the building blocks we've built up over the years. Excellent, thank you. Any other um, feedback from the panelists before we uh, move to, to open up and take some questions from the audience? Yeah, I, I fully agree with uh, what Colin just mentioned about the adoptions and the asset that we have at hand uh, in order to accelerate in-car payments. And we are uh, in a very lucky position today. On top of it, of course, uh, the younger generation today are more willing to adopt a new way of, of living and new way of, uh, of purchasing and paying for uh, services. I remember in 2006 when we started talking about NFC contactless payment with a very small Nokia uh, mobile device. Uh, we fought a lot on the ecosystems and the business models. Uh, and I think that is the key point that, and the lesson learned that we have to learn today. Mm. Uh, let's avoid repeating, uh, fighting each other and defense in your own business case. Instead, uh, think forward and try to create a tangible uh, ecosystem uh, to help mm. each other. So to come back to the point that Frank Michael was mentioning, and, and you posed the question, Andrew, about, about the marriage between uh, banks and, and OEMs, I, I, I think that, that mindset is very interesting to talk about it. Um, they are already on the, in the same boat uh, for, for banks and OEMs, security and safety are the topmost importance. So there's already a, a common point to start with. The thing is, looking at the sustainability, for example, the big trends of these societies, mm. uh, big companies need also to help each other uh, to make sure that we are going to achieve the common sense of, of the development uh, that we are uh, dealing with in the big trends. So one of the trends is sustainability. Banks uh, at the end also need to invest in uh, infrastructures, uh, helping customers to move forward to sustainability. And I, I believe that OEM has the same uh, responsibility as well. And, and their services and also thinking forward in car payment those are the small elements that would help to achieve that big goal as well. No, I think that's an excellent point, Min, that there are all those commonalities. Well, they're, you know, they're in many ways are different worlds. They're also dealing with many of the same day-to-day -day challenges and market drivers. And that, um, you know, that's a powerful set of building blocks to bring the two industries together. So perhaps at this point, um, we, we, we're getting a lot of questions. So I want to make sure we, we get some time for uh, for some of the panelists question, uh, to, to answer the questions. And I'm, I'm gonna jump on the uh, the first one that came in because it's linked to some of the, the feedback around PSD2. Um, so I'm just gonna paraphrase the question, but it really saying, it feels like the regulations focused on smartphones as a major mobile payment device and didn't really focus on um, vehicles. Uh, you know, and, and, and is that fair? And did, did, did the, uh, the person asking the question miss, miss where it was covering uh, automotive? So um, I'd be very interested in the panel's view on does PSD2 sort of adequately cover the, the in-vehicle payment scenarios for automotive? 
Well, I would say, I mean, PSD2 was not originally designed for that. Um, on the other hand, it's quite technology agnostic. It's also quite payment channel agnostic, I would say. So in the end, you could say, well, it does in a certain way cover it, or at least you could kind of uh, integrate it uh, in, into also the PSD2 requirements. But of course, that puts some additional requirements on how you do that. So in the end, it's, it's really about um, protecting another factor. So if you think about biometrics or potentially even something like PIN as the first factor, and then something like a secure key, uh, a cryptographic key or credential as a second factor. I mean, that that's doable, um, but of course has to be considered. And uh, we, we talked about the various security environments. Um, you have to make the, the choices which one to take. Where is this located? How is this accessible? Is it part of your secure domain within your car? or maybe outside the original security domain, um, are you able to display some transaction details in a secure way in, the, in, the way, in a way that they cannot be modified and so on. So there are a lot of implications, um, but at least doable. And, and yeah, as I said, PSD2 is really somehow agnostic to that. Uh, it's just uh, formulating some, some general requirements, no detailed technical requirements. In that sense, you always also have certain design flexibilities. And if you do them properly, I think you can you can do that also in a car. Slightly linked to that in the next question, I'm going to combine a couple of questions together. Um, so the next question says that in-vehicle payment uh, model increases the vehicle cost dramatically to support plug and, uh, plug and charge features. It involves huge efforts on cybersecurity implementations, electronic changes, and, and, and how the... How do we think it will be become easy um, effectively for the uh, for the OEMs? And, and linked to that, we have a number of questions around um, the impact of UN ECE WP29. So I'm quite happy to, to talk about WP29 and, and other ISO uh, standards related to this. But, um, so perhaps if we uh, sort of initially to deal with that, does it really add significant cost to the vehicle to to support in vehicle payments? And play kick off, and I'll, I'll say today. I think we already highlighted there are many, many wireless technologies already going into the to the vehicle for a range of different application scenarios. Everything from uh, digital car keys to enhancing uh, general connectivity services in the vehicle. We've got, as mentioned, WP twenty nine, and there's also ISO twenty one four three four, which which require vehicles to embrace cybersecurity and in the heart of the vehicle design. Um, which I think will provide the secure routes of trust and the secure environments inside the vehicle that naturally enable payment transaction services to be protected in the right way that, that the financial services industry is looking for. So I and, and and linked to all of this, we also have in you know in Europe in 2023, we have the driver monitoring system regulations starting to come in. So we will have um, things like facial recognition to validate who the driver is. Um, we, we're already seeing vehicles on road today with fingerprint readers, um, you know, out in Korea, uh, we've already seen the first vehicles launch where they're using fingerprint recognition for um, supporting two-factor authentication. And one of our partners that we work with, K-Smartech, has, uh, has seen a lot of success in terms of the, the Korean in-car in, in payment market, and I think linked to, to a lot of the reasons that the panelists shared. So, so I, I, would, I would say that today, um, you know, the, the two industries have had some parallel sets of supportive legislation that when you bring them together are actually very complementary and enable vehicles to start having the right security environment 
that will be needed for uh, for in vehicle payments to be highly successful. The the additional capabilities to support the delegated authentication and uh, two factor authentication type services are coming anyway. Um, whether it's for driver monitoring and driver safety or other reasons, those technologies will be there and, and present. And, and underneath all of this is a move in, in you know two electrical platforms and next generation vehicle architecture. So. Yeah. But from my perspective, uh, I would say I don't think it's it's driving cost into the vehicle. I think this is a classic case of that cost has to be absorbed and in-vehicle payments allows OEMs to recover value from investments that they have to uh, to already be making. I think I think that's actually the most important element, right? The, the potential revenue generation uh, that uh, in-vehicle payments and the use cases that we were talking about earlier are going to generate for the industry and for the vehicle manufacturers is, is such that in the context of security that in any case needs to be improved and taken care of by the vehicle manufacturer as we are moving towards connected and autonomous vehicles. Uh, this is just an additional uh, module uh, that is critical, yet um, one component of what needs to be part of the future proof strategy of a vehicle manufacturer uh, to move from you know selling hardware to uh, start generating and building value on software because the future of the automotive industry is not on the hardware the future of the automotive industry is in a, a, an environment that will be uh, where the software will define the value of the industry yeah, and I think also there'll be there'll be kind of specialist software providers who solve this uh, for vehicle manufacturers who are specialist in uh, in vehicle payment and the technologies and regulations. So just as we had in the kind of mobile space, a lot of uh, specialist uh, wallet providers. I think that the same will happen in in the in vehicle space. So yeah. I think yeah, there's there's an opportunity there. Just to emphasize on on the fact that there are already many existing. Um, Building blocks and infrastructures out there, not to mention, you know, to, to, to make it a little bit more specific, uh, in in the car there are already um, head units uh, that are building with its own security environments, and then um, behind that there is already a connected platform that help managing, you know, enrollments uh, over the air updates uh, of of uh, software or doing card uh, tokenization down to the level of uh, the head unit with all these securities uh, measures that need to be taken care of. So th that that. Uh, all of those already exist today. I think the key activities for OEM to spend uh, and uh, attention on is to spend resources on developing use cases with partners, driving innovation workshop with partners, develop the tangible use cases where you can see, okay, let's start uh, right there, stop talking and start working on tangible things, experimenting so that we can step-by-step step get uh, to where we want to get to. And that step needs to be done, you know, stepping over the border to say, okay, this is what we have and this is what we would like to do with partners. Absolutely. I'm going to try and squeeze in a couple of more questions. So we've, we've had a great one here. Um, if next generation vehicle architectures are required to process credit card information, will they require separate vehicle certification or, or certifications? 
So we'd love to get the panel's uh, view on um, will we see specific certifications for vehicles that can support in-vehicle payments or will they, will it fall under general cybersecurity certifications which will be required anyway under WP29? I can take that one because um, I do have some background certification, but I guess it depends on, on the, the technology chosen. And so, you know, if they if they go down, whether it's a secure element route or a TE route or a, a cloud-based payment solution. So it really will depend on what technology um, path is selected. Um, and there are kind of appropriate um, certifications for this. But a lot of those will be managed by uh, the technology provider so that they will do that as part of their process. So I don't see it as an additional burden on the vehicle manufacturer. Um, I think maybe some new elements is that it's got to be planned for quite a long life cycle. So the, the full life cycle of the car. So that, that's got to be taken into account. But I, I don't see it as a, um, a necessarily a direct additional burden on, on the car vendor. Yeah. I, I would agree. I think it, I think there's an element there of forward planning. Um, so from our from our role, um, you know, with our TE, we have taken the decision to move from EAL level two to EAL level five um, to try and make sure that we have that um, longevity in the certifications to cover all of the newer emerging use cases. And of course, typically that is inherited through an embedded HSM or TE secure element, etc., within the chipset. So you, you, I think that there is a strong element there of the, the OEMs need to think about what are the, those likely extended scenarios and if they need to enhance the security over time of the vehicle, then to pick the, mm. the appropriate environment that, that can scale upwards and meet the, uh, the security targets and the protection profiles needed. Another uh, question, on, I'm deliberately going, trying to go quick fire <laughs> to speak these in because we've got so many great questions. Um, will the car become a wallet or, or will the owner still have a wallet and they'll need to sync with the car? In-car wallet is part of the vocabulary already in the automotive industry. So I think the, the car will have a wallet and we will have one as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think the arrival of uh, in-car payment will come with the impacts of several payment models. So uh, as far as, as I can see, there are three alternatives. One is using credit card schemes uh, with tokenization. The other alternative I already mentioned, direct account-to-account -account payment. And of course, the, uh, the third uh, option uh, would be driven by blockchain technology, where you also have very boost of innovation in that area. But for me, it's, it's something that the market is experimenting, uh, but it's not really standardized. We don't know where we'll get to. Um, but at the end, it's, it's the issuer who will decide on what kind of authentications uh, and security measures will be acceptable. Uh, so from, from that standpoint, I think um, the discussion around standardization of uh, biometric authentications uh, where there is no standard today can be and should be accelerated in, in, in order to allow for the first step moving forward in car payment with a lot of convenience. Maybe when you when you talk about wallets, I think it's also good to, to look at this in a little, little broader perspective because uh, so once you have an, an OEM pay platform somehow established and uh, the car is, let's say, one of the payment channels, I think we will also 
most likely see other channels in, in coexistence. So like the, the mobile channel, the classical one and the web channel. So in the end, it's, it's really about your identity, your driver's mm -hmm. identity um, connected, of course, to your payment identity and your payment credentials. And uh, so this is why you also maybe should think about across these channels. So how can you tackle the, the challenges, not only in the car, but also on the mobile and on the web and can somehow provide a harmonized experience, especially if you think about transferring your identities, your credentials from one channel to the other, uh, using both in parallel, uh, using maybe one of them only temporarily and so on. So I think it, it should be maybe viewed as a broader uh, ecosystem. Uh, where you will have a classical mobile wallet, uh, maybe also with the OEM branded uh, payment card as uh, as an HCE wallet, for example, with your mobile phone. But then you will also have the in-car wallet and uh, maybe also your web-based wallet. So I think it's really one of the building blocks of a complete uh, ecosystem mm. we are talking mm. about. Yeah. I need to yeah. get better at not losing my wallet, I think. is Excellent. No, I, I, I think um, you know a great answer to to what will be, I, I'm sure, a question not only in the technology world but also on the, the top of mind with, uh, with with consumers. I'm going to throw out one very quick last question. We had one um, question raised about uh, you know when everyone in the in the car carries a smartphone that can make payments. Why why does uh, in vehicle payments make sense? I'm just going to put out there. I think. You know, use of phones in cars today is one of the biggest drivers of accidents on the road. And I, I see a just a very simple benefit from pure avoiding driver distraction, keeping eyes on road, but through other mechanisms such as voice biometrics and uh, facial recognition, et cetera, being able to provide all of these services without the need for somebody to be in any way, shape or form uh, distracted. So for me, it's it's really safety. And maybe customer experience. Exactly. Sorry. For, for me, for me, it's not a question of one or another. It's a combination of. At the end, it's a, a kind of omni-channel that you could use different form factors for paying services from the same account or wallet or credit card number, whatever you want to use. Um, but it depends on the situation where you use a certain payment uh, uh, solution. So I could imagine the situation where you have the same payment uh, solution on your mobile phone uh, when you walk into the shop after you have, you know, all while waiting for the recharge of your uh, vehicles, you pay for services in the shop with your mobile phone. But then when you step into your car, you just drive away and then you see at the end of your journey, uh, the amount subtracted from you, the same account. So I think the answer is there, there are lots of there are lots of benefits, um, but there will be coexistence. We're not saying you're suddenly not going to do things on your phone anymore, but it's what what is what is safe, what is simple, what is easy in the environment you're in. I think unfortunately we are just out of time. I know we have a lot of questions that have been raised that we haven't been able to get to, so I will ask our panelists if they would be willing to donate a little bit of extra time, and we can put together an offline document to to answer those questions. Um, but I would like to take the time to thank Frank, Colin, Frank, Michael, and Min for not only being with us today, but, but really sharing and being very open and sharing a lot of great insights. And um, again, really appreciate the, uh, the time. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Head to our website, www.trasonic.com 
to find our detailed answers to the questions we weren't able to answer, as well as the in-depth content around connected vehicles of tomorrow.